0: Hello, welcome to What I Wish I'd Known
1: and What I Wish They Knew. We're your hosts, Chelsea
0: and James. Thanks for joining us as we listen to reflections from seasoned ministers and members from the community.
1: We hope this podcast serves to encourage and equip you to better be the church. Joining us today, we have Pastor Larry Venable. Larry Venable graduated with a Bachelor of Arts from Howard Payne University and a Master's of Divinity from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He and his wife, Etta, have been married for 45 years and have four children Jason, who works at Blue Cross and Blue Shield and is a worship leader at a new church start in Frisco, Scott, who's the lead pastor at Northwood Church in Keller, Melissa, who is an assistant principal in the Plano School District, and John, who's the lead pastor of New Life Baptist Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. They also have 13 grandchildren. Larry has served in both youth and pastoral ministries, including his current pastorate at Freeman Heights Baptist Church in Garland, Texas, where he has served since 1983.
0: Larry has a huge heart for community ministry. And Freeman Heights Baptist Church is having an enormous impact on their community in Garland, Texas. We truly enjoyed hearing and learning from the wisdom and knowledge that he has obtained over his years in ministry. We hope you enjoy as much as we did Pastor Larry Venable. All right. Uh, Larry, thank you for joining us today on the podcast. We are, are excited to just hear from you and be able to gain some wisdom and knowledge from your years of experience uh, out at Freeman Heights. And so we're, we're just grateful that you took some time out of your day to spend some time with us. Uh, thank you. Glad to be a part of this. So our first question is, when did you start in full-time ministry and how many churches uh, have you served? Well,
2: you know, I, I did several part three part time youth ministries, and as everybody will tell you there's no such thing as part time ministry. So, <laughs> right, I that's true. I actually, my first pastor was in 1978 in Fort Worth, I served from 1978 to 1983, and then 1983 came to Freeman Heights, I've been here ever since.
0: Wow, that's great. That's that's
2: uh, That's a long time. Yeah, I'm 37 years now.
1: Wow, and that's a really long tenure at one church. That's amazing.
2: I just say they haven't been able to get rid of me yet, so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's great. So as you think back over those years of ministry, Pastor Larry, um, what's something you wish you had known when you first started in ministry that you know now?
2: I, I wish I'd known the the real value of mentoring. Uh, you know we i've done discipleship groups the whole time but just a meeting with three to five people and pouring your life into them is much more effective and uh and has produced much more better leadership i think there's a leadership deficiency in a lot of churches yeah and, uh, and i think we try to, to build a whole bunch of them at once and just the idea of mentoring uh, that, that has been one of the most enjoyable and beneficial things i've been able to do
0: i wish i'd known that early on At uh, what point kind of in your ministry did you uh realize the importance of that i'd say about i've been here about
2: nine years and realized that the leadership was not what it needed to be and and uh, i just need to take take control of that and really invest in some people's lives my idea is a multiplying you know where you train them and then hopefully they'll go out and start a group of three to five, and right. and it doesn't always work that way. But if only one or two do it, you're way ahead of the game. Absolutely.
1: Yes, and so in mentoring, does that look like a lot more of organic type life on life things, or have you used a curriculum in the past, or what does that look like for you?
2: Well, really, the only curriculum I've used is the Bible, and. Uh, I just make it fit to each group each group I work with is really different mm-hmm. and they have different needs and they're different levels and so just kind of take pick bible passages where they
0: need to go and where they need to walk that's great that's a great is is it just for you is it mainly uh ministers or just kind of any leadership and uh, also just in your church or outside of your church as well no, it's,
2: it's mainly been inside the church, and not not ministers as much as uh, just people within our, our church that we need to be in leadership.
0: Yeah,
2: I've tried to do some with ministers, but uh, that's been a much harder group to work with, than to
0: work <laughs> as with. is the case usually. <laughs> uh, tell us about a time of blessing during your ministry. Well, I think uh, two things.
2: One has been my children. Yeah. Uh, they grew up in church here, but I have one that's leading worship in a church start in Frisco. Another son is a pastor in Keller. Another son's pastor in the Little Rock area. And my daughter's in education. Her and her husband are active members of our church. So it's just been a real blessing to see, have your kids take the baton and, and continue the race kind of thing. The other is uh, working with multi-ethnic pastors and, and staff. And that's just been one of the great pleasures of my ministry is working with them. And uh, they they bring so much to the table that I different than, than normal and different than what I've been used to. And so it's just been a real joy working with multi-ethnic staff.
1: Can you maybe walk us through some of how you developed multicultural leadership and maybe some challenges, but also benefits of that?
2: I think the benefit is it makes all people feel more comfortable. But I mean, I've been really excited about how our church has bought into this because, I mean, like I said, we sing some we sing some songs in Spanish in our know, worship, mm-hmm. and uh, that that's not comfortable for some people. But they do it, and you know, you, it's good to hear a bunch of white people singing the <laughs> Spanish songs. You know, yeah, and uh, even we have to make adjustments like. Uh, when our uh, African-American co-pastor came on, you know, I said, you know, part of our culture is we have sermons in 20 minutes. <laughs> part of your culture is uh, you preach an hour. Or right. <laughs>
0: so, so
2: he's, he's learned to preach a 30 minute sermon, you know, <laughs> and uh, because it's a, uh, it, you have to adjust to, to reach different cultures and, and, uh, and you have to, people are willing to make adjustments to do that. And so uh the development of the multicultural staff has been mainly praying and God sending you people that putting people in your path that, you know, can work together. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. What I know there's lots of differences. um, So what kind of keeps y'all unified or um, have that straightforward and single minded vision?
2: I think the willingness to let go of some things that we hold dear uh, for me, I love to preach, so you know, letting some of that go is not easy for me, but I have to, do that to make it work. And, and then, uh, you know, prayer, praying together, becoming friends together, mm-hmm. and uh, living life together, you know. So, uh, these guys will go see my grandson play football or whatever, you know. So, uh, mm-hmm. we, we just try to develop a real close family atmosphere, kind of. That's great. We also bring in guest speakers. Uh, Mike Satterfield. I brought. In, he's a good friend of mine. He comes yeah. in
0: several times a year and preaches for us, and so people enjoy that as well. It has to be a commitment that the pastor makes and casts a vision for and commits to. And I've I haven't seen a church uh, go multicultural that didn't lose people over it.
2: No, I don't think there will be. I think he... We'll lose people. And that's why I, I keep coming back to thank missions, not members. You know? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Because you, you got to fulfill God's mission, and uh, we can't keep members at any
0: cost. Uh, right. that kill you. That's great. And so you uh, started pastoring in 1978, so your kids all kind of grew up as uh, pastor's kids. Right, yeah. Was there goals kind of in the, for them personally were their personal goals to enter into ministry or is that something that developed kind of later on um in their lives well my wife and i wanted to make sure god called them and not us and so mm-hmm.
2: you know we we just wanted them to be serious minded disciples of christ and and this this was a good church to raise them into they they never were told they had to do something because they're pastors kids and and you know we just wanted them to be followers of christ so been his call up on their lives has done that. That's awesome.
1: That is, and I know sometimes pastors' kids don't have a great experience um, growing up, and uh, it sounds like all of your kiddos are walking with the Lord, which is great. Do you have any advice for um, parents that are in ministry?
2: Uh, well, my advice would be don't, don't, ever try to make them, make them make your ministry better. Mm-hmm. Uh, just let them grow in the Lord. And we never tried to tell our kids, you got to go to church because you're our pastor's kids. You go right. because we want to follow Christ. Right. So just be followers of Christ. Genuine. And I think at home, you know, they, they don't need to see us as perfect parents, it's, but they need, did need to see that we're genuine
0: followers of Christ.
1: Right. Oh, mm. well, that's a good distinction. That's yeah.
0: Great. Living it out at home, not just a church.
1: Yeah. And now, knowing ministry is a journey, and sometimes that journey includes trying times. Can you tell us maybe about some trying times during your ministry?
2: Well, yeah, uh, there's been quite a few. But uh, you know, moving a traditional church to a non-traditional ministry it has not been easy. It's, it's, some people say, "Man, it, you know, it's exciting what y'all are doing." My response is, "It is now." <laughs> oh, <I think>. <laughs> right. It's not always uh, you know, we had a time in uh, the early 90s where we were trying to build a building here. We'd been growing and we we're going to do church plan A. And there's a ministry going on about two miles from here in a health club that was going bankrupt. And we had some people working with them. So we, uh, I decided we need to buy that health club. I decided God wanted us to do that. I mean, God made that very clear to me. This wasn't very clear to everybody else. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, when we voted on it as a church, we it passed by one vote according to our constitution. Almost called it off, but man, it's been a great blessing. We call it the rock, and it's just been a tremendous blessing. We have several ministries going on there. So that uh, that was a that was a tough time. We had several families leave the church because of what we because of that and. Every major move we've made ministry wise we've we've had people leave right so you just yes you you, we we want to thank missions not members here
0: yeah, yeah. Right. what uh so will you just explain a little bit kind of you said uh you guys are more of kind of a non-traditional can you explain what you mean by that I think non-traditional is that we just uh we, we
2: decide we're going to be multi-ethnic multicultural. Uh, two two reasons. One is practical. That's our community now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other is theological. We believe that you know, church in heaven's made up of every tribe, language, and nation. Right. I think the church on earth all look like church in heaven, and uh, so we made that distinction. We want to be multi-ethnic, and uh, so we do Spanish songs in the service, and we do uh, different styles of music here and there, all all designed to make all cultures feel as comfortable as we possibly can. And we, we would try to reflect
0: on our staff as well. That's awesome. How, how long ago did you guys kind of make that change out there? It was about 1992.
2: In fact, it was 1992. We bought this building and, and uh, the building kind of was the rock It's two miles from our church campus. And uh, we, we we didn't put our name on because we want other churches to be involved in ministry there with us. And, uh, and that just kind of was the catalyst for all that we're doing.
1: Good. For some folks that maybe aren't as familiar um, with the ministry that y'all do, can you kind of describe maybe a little bit about The Rock and different ministries that your church is involved in?
2: Well, some of the ministries have been going on the whole time. Some of them have had a shelf life and aren't still mm-hmm. active but uh, right. we have a pregnancy center there we have a, a supply closet for infants and young children we have a food pantry we we do uh there's a karate club that meets a kung fu club and there's a weight room and we do we feed we feed after school feed kids after school and we in summer we feed lunches there and then uh like, uh, we have a sewing room, teach people how to sew and all of that. And so then we have a, I can't always remember everything we're doing. Right. Uh, <laughs>
0: That's a lot. Uh,
2: we have a Hispanic church that meets there. And, you know, we're hoping to get a new a kind of a, a multicultural church going soon.
0: Great. And all that is going on at the Rock, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a I remember, place. we first
2: bought the building. I, I stood there in this big empty building. I thought, "God, what are we going to do with this?" I had no idea, <laughs> I had no idea where it was going to go. So we just kind of go step by step, and like
0: God opened doors. That place is awesome, and what you guys are doing is um, so great, and and impacting that community. Do you have uh, just a maybe a quick story of how the Rock has impacted the community out there? Well, you know, we
2: have um, there's fifty apartment buildings within five mile radius of the rock. Mm-hmm. And almost all of them are section eight housing. So mm-hmm. uh there there's a big need there and just uh we've seen a lot of changed lives and uh everything we do we infuse with the gospel. We don't wanna we want just hand out stuff and not share Jesus with people. So uh we've seen a lot of changed lives and some families I don't want to necessarily use their names, but right. We've seen all the children come to Christ and families changed, and we've seen uh, people
0: enter into ministry through there. Uh, you mentioned that some of the ministries have a shelf life, and so I think it would be helpful, especially kind of in this time where we a lot of churches have opportunities to um, kind of shelve some ministry and start some new things coming back from COVID and things like that. How do you guys kind of know when a ministry that you're involved in has kind of hit that shelf life?
2: A lot of times, it's, it's a it's a lack of leadership. There's been a leader and then they've gone, and, and we never really begrudge that. I mean, there's people that are touched by the gospel, even in a short period of time or whatever. So uh, we we're, we're grateful for the ongoing ministries, but we're also grateful for the short term ministries that just there for a little while or whatever. But mostly it's when the leader goes and we don't have another leader take his place. Right. It is really what happens most of the time.
0: Yeah.
1: That makes sense. Comes Absolutely. down, there's no one to lead it. Then <laughs>
2: right. yeah. That's it's hard, right. hard to keep it going well, if no one's leading. I think a lot of times uh pa- pastors, ministers make mistakes is they they try to keep something going that they have to do. Mm. And and it's not gonna work that way. It's just not work that way. Right. My, I, I wanna be involved in ministering, but my job mainly is to equip the ministers, two ministers and to minister and to encourage them and to strengthen them. So I I, I can't do everything and right. it's not healthy to try to do everything.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Sometimes
2: you just gotta let something go and uh, it served its purpose and you just gotta let it go.
1: Yes. Yeah, God will definitely call up who he needs to call up. So that's yeah. great good yeah.
0: and good it's distinction. okay it's okay for ministries to um have that shelf life into yeah yeah to it not, is not continue yeah i think that, that
2: that's our philosophy anyway it's okay <laughs> you know <laughs> and there's always lies touch regardless
0: yeah exactly exactly good
1: that's neat and i think sometimes church leaders can become very inwardly focused um so I know you have a heart for the community. How did that come about? Is that something, you know, God just really put on your heart or did you notice something um, in the community? How did you develop kind of that vision and passion for reaching your local community?
2: Actually the church I grew up in in San Antonio was a very missional church. Mm-hmm. Um, the pastor there led the church actually to put up some archery targets and some ping pong tables and stuff like that, and invite the community to come and, play on weekends and stuff Oh, nice! Like uh-huh. and uh he, he'd come by and pick me up and hand out flyers and stuff so i kind of learned it that way to kind of have a community vision versus church vision and mm-hmm. uh, and so uh that's kind of where it came about and uh and uh it's not always easy to do sometimes there's a resistance to that and even as a pastor even when you had that vision sometimes you think well do we really want to lose these people or Or what, you know. Right, right. Not always easy to do, but uh, definitely think that uh, the church needs to focus on the community and not itself. Mm -hmm. I think think itself is a recipe for dying.
0: When you were losing some folks at your church, uh, when you guys were kind of making these decisions, going multicultural in Iraq and things like that, did you view that as... Um, maybe we're going the wrong direction or did you just, was your vision just so clear that you, it didn't even, it didn't deter you at all?
2: No, I think you ask yourself the question, no doubt. I mean, is this the right thing to do? And really in, in a way it it uh, becomes kind of a test to determine, I think, mm-hmm. whether you're doing it right there or not. It causes you to evaluate it. Right. And uh, so, so we kind of developed a little formula out of that, that, we're all we're always going to think missions and not members. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and what I found out, too, when we bought The Rock and the other ministries that we're doing, there's a lot of people aren't gifted to teach in Sunday school. They're not gifted singing the choir. For a long time, that's all the church really offered. You either teach, sing choir, or you sit, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people build stuff to uh, get in there and we'll put groceries together. You know clothes together things like that that uh, that, that work hard and and maybe you think they weren't real servants and they really are <laughs> you mm-hmm. know but they just didn't have opportunity to do it so, yeah. uh,
1: so in addition to kind of creating those opportunities to serve, how did you pass that vision along to your members to start looking towards the community
2: well you know we we did from the pulpit preached on quite mm-hmm. a bit and then and through the mentoring process as well i share that with them and and then uh, you you pray you pray for a hunger in the hearts of people to make a difference and to uh get involved in people's lives and you know when when people see people that they're working with come to christ and lives change and families change mm-hmm. you can't hold them back anymore uh, right. yeah so, yeah
1: that's great and so looking at back at these things, as we're talking through them, are there maybe one or two things that you did during your ministry that worked really well? So if you had to do something over again, you would say, Oh, I definitely do these things.
2: Uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, Bring on multi-ethnic staff has really been and giving, giving them a seat at the table. You know, you can't just, they we're going to serve you they they need to learn to serve and be a part of the family and a seated a table and, and leadership and everything so i i think that's been something we did right and did well um god's brought several we have a, we had a hispanic co-pastor for a while and we're looking for another one right now uh but we have a, a african-american co-pastor who shares preaching responsibility with me and it's just been real that's been
0: a real blessing for us. That's great. Um, so with the sometimes we make choices and things go well, and then other times we make some choices and things don't go as well. Are there one or two mistakes that you have made during your ministry that you uh, wouldn't mind sharing with us? And then also, what did you learn from those mistakes?
2: I think my biggest mistake is to move too fast sometimes, you know? Right. I, you mm-hmm. know, just, I just... To either move too fast on selecting staff or move too fast. So I've, I've learned to slow down a little bit. I'm, I'm not, when I get an idea, I'm ready to go. And, so, <laughs> right. you know, sometimes the church has to be brought along and, and kind of cultivated. So I'd say early on, that's several mistakes I made. And just too quick on the pulling the trigger. Right. Do
0: you have an example of one of those times?
2: Uh, yeah, well, yeah, there's some, you know, uh, there's some staff I brought on that was a little quick and wasn't the best decision either. So, you know, I did, and some people told me they didn't think they were right. And I didn't listen to them because I knew enough, you know, mm.
0: I learned, I don't know enough. So, <laughs>
2: <laughs> right.
0: Uh, yeah. That's a lesson we all probably need to learn sometimes <laughs> is we don't know as much as we think we do. That's right. Yeah. yeah.
1: And Pastor Larry, if there was a young minister that was just starting out and they asked you for some advice, what would you share with them?
2: Well, I think I would uh, I'd tell them to have the proper definition of success, first of all. And, you know, Jesus said that you want to be great in the kingdom of God, be a servant of all. I think it applies to churches as well. I think you want to develop a church that's a serving church, and have that definition of success, so that, that could, to me that could be a great church, could be twenty people, could be two thousand people it's, it's, they're serving their community, they're a great church okay. so i would I would encourage them to have the proper definition of success, and then uh I'd encourage them not don't try to leave you know God may move you, but God knows where you are, and He knows how to get you where he wants you to be mm-hmm. and so sometimes I think they they miss out a lot because they leave too soon. And so, don't 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 try to leave. Stay as long as God wants you to be there, and do what God wants you to
0: do. Those are good. Those are two good things uh, that maybe even some older ministers probably need to hear as well. Um, do you have any advice on? Uh, I think for so I was a young minister for a long time, <laughs> and do you have advice on how to know? when maybe it is time to leave, sometimes your hand is forced yeah. <laughs> uh, by circumstances, but when there's other times where, and so there've been times in my life where I received an offer or an inquiry from another church when I wasn't unhappy with where I'm at. And so just that trying to figure out um, you know, where does God want me to go? Does he want me to go to this place that maybe is bigger, pays more, has more opportunity than where I'm at? And so my wife, you know, my wife and I talk about it and prayed about it and things like that. But do you have any um just pointers or or helpful kind of um things that could help in those kind of situations?
2: Well, when I came to Freeman Heights, I made the promise to him that I would not apply for other jobs. And you know, I've been contacted but for other positions. And I think you have a responsibility to find out if God's in that or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think you, you need to ever make a decision based on more money or more opportunity. You just need to decide if it's God's will or not. That's it. Yeah. God want me here. God want me there. And uh, there, there's a time where I considered wanting to get out of here, you know. But uh, you know, uh, we prayed about it and felt. Just that I have that conviction, like I said, God knows where you are, knows how to get you where He wants you to be, and if that's stay where you are, then stay. So right. if you put all the factors aside, like more money, more prestige, whatever, and don't need any of that because God will take care of you. The only thing you have to consider then is what is God's will for my life, and for His church. Right.
1: Good and. And you mentioned a couple of times about being a servant and that definition of success. So how do you pass that along and develop a culture of servanthood within your congregation?
2: I think you, you have to constantly recast the vision, constantly. Mm-hmm. We had a Sunday just two Sundays ago where the, the, that Sunday was dedicated to recasting the vision. And that's what we, we talked about. We, we, we use two words here, sending and serving. We want to send people in the community And we want them to serve the community, and so those are two terms we kind of keep before people all the time. We're sending you, and you're serving, and uh, and uh, you just keep emphasizing that and recasting that vision, then then church is going to get it.
1: Brother Larry, so you mentioned you're in a community that has a lot of needs, and you listed off a whole list of things that your church is doing to help meet those needs. Um, how did you figure out kind of which ministries to start or what the community's needs even were when y'all were doing that?
2: Well, uh, one is we listen to the people here mm-hmm. who are in the community and we listen to our church members. And they come up come and say, I'd like to do this. And we say, well, all right, let's pray about it and let's see if we make that work. And, and what you have there is a whole church full of servants when that starts happening. right? right. And then the other factor is, you know, you just, you, you got to talk to people in the community. Mm-hmm. A lot of times like mayors and stuff. Those aren't people to talk to. They're always bubbling over with excitement. You know, talk to people that live and work in the community and get involved in community. Yeah. You know, I coach baseball teams and basketball teams and, and that gets me in the community and gets me to know people and talk to them. Mm. So we just, uh, you know, and we, you listen to people. Listen to a community and find out what needs are and find out what you can do to meet those needs. Yeah.
1: Great. That's a great advice. Thank you.
0: So now it's at the end of um, all of these, Larry, we like to ask our um, guests just a question from a wheel of questions. And so I've got a wheel here uh that's got a bunch of numbers on it and it's our wheel of random questions and i'm going to spin it and each number represents a random question that we have that chelsea's going to ask and so we'll spin i'll spin the wheel and then chelsea will ask you the question all right all right here we go we landed on oh number one there you go number one
1: Number one. Okay, here we go. What is your favorite hero in fiction? Or actually, who is your favorite hero in fiction?
2: Who's my favorite hero in fiction? Well, I guess I didn't see that one coming. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you know, uh, I think it's the rifleman.
0: <laughs> oh, oh nice. look at that. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. He, he, he always gets the bad guy and, and he's got strong morals and just uh there's
0: always a gunfight. That's what I like. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great choice. My dad, um, growing up, my dad loved Western shows. Uh-huh. And so we would I'm 42. And so um we would watch The Rifleman when it came on and all of those kind of old westerns. Yeah. And so I, I love that. I love that. That's a great answer. Wow. I would have never come up with that in a million years. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just watched one. <laughs> <There> you- <laughs> <laughs> well, perfect. Thank you, uh, Larry, so much for taking some time, like we said, just to share a little bit with us. Um, I, I love the, the ministry of Freeman Heights and the things that you guys are doing out there, are uh, really impacting that community, uh, directly. And so there's a lot of, um, there's just a lot of wisdom, uh, that, that you guys have accumulated over that time. And so we are grateful for you sharing a little bit of that with, with us and our listeners. Well, I appreciate it.
2: We probably could have given all my wisdom in about five minutes, but.
1: <laughs> oh, no. <laughs>
2: Appreciate you. Let me share.
1: Yes. Thank you so much, Pastor Larry. We love the example of a servant leader that you are. So thank you for continuing to serve your community.
2: Thank you. God bless y'all. You too, Larry. Thanks.
0: Man, Larry was great. I'm thankful for Larry and uh, the ministry that they have over at Freeman Heights. Uh, There's just so much uh, wisdom and knowledge that he's gained over a really long time at his church, so Chelsea, I ask you this every time, and I'm going to ask you again: Where should we even start with this?
1: Good question. Yet again, um, listening to Pastor Larry, I really appreciated kind of the conviction that he had, right, and you know, really seeking where God was calling him to be and what God was calling him to do, and then sticking with that regardless of the fallout or benefits that were were attached to that.
0: Right, he talked about uh hearing clearly from God on mm-hmm. a lot of the, he mentioned specifically the rock, hearing clearly from God on the rock and and buying that um gym mm-hmm. to for the church and he heard clearly that that's what God want, wanted and when it came down to the church voting it passed by one vote.
1: Yes, that's a narrow <laughs> decision right there.
0: You cannot get more narrow than one vote. <laughs> But it passed and look at all the amazing things that God did. And so Larry heard and Larry stuck to the conviction of what, of the calling that that God put in his life. And he's seen um, more fruit than you can possibly imagine come from the rock in that, in, in their area, in their community.
1: Yes. And he mentioned several times, you know, focusing on mission over members. And I think that really helps with conviction and following through on the calling God's given you. Um, It can be difficult if we think it's going to be a decision that will upset people and maybe cause some people to leave. Um, But knowing that if you're following God, you can trust him with the results, no matter what.
0: Absolutely. Um, He also talked about um, just when, when he went to Freeman Heights in 1983 or whatever it was um, that he told them when he went there, that he would never apply for another church. Yes. He felt called there. Right. <laughs> and so he was just letting them know that he's not ever going to be looking for a new job. That takes some serious conviction.
1: It does. And especially if you have a family with you too. So right. that was just wholehearted obedience right there, um, which I think is actually a great example because I think today in... I don't know if this is a new, I think it's been around a long time, but I, I feel like there's a trend to follow more of a business model in yeah. ministry mm-hmm. um, where sometimes we're tempted to start out at a like smaller, what we consider a smaller church and then work our way up, um, you know, to bigger churches and whatnot and kind of seeing that as a definition of success. Right. But I think when we do that, we lose that sense of calling and and forget that, we just need to be where God calls us and have that sense of purpose and direction from him, not just trying to go up the ladder, so to speak.
0: Absolutely. When I was in seminary, I, I went for student ministry because I wanted to be a student mm-hmm. pastor. And a lot of my my fellow student ministry classmates talked like student ministry was just the first step on the path to being a senior pastor. So they were called to be a senior pastor, but they felt like they had to be a youth pastor before they could be a senior pastor, because mm. that's the way that it went. When you know, God is amazing and powerful enough to put a call in your life and then give you that opportunity, right? And yes. so, if you're called to be a senior pastor, then go for that. There's no reason to to um, be a, be anything else if that's what mm-hmm. He called you to. And I think that that's what we see in Larry is that when God called him to something, he went for that. He didn't go for the lesser of that to work his way up. He went straight for it and grabbed it to the point to where in, for some of his mistakes, he talked about moving too fast. Like when he yes, feels like right. God's telling him to do something, he jumps at it so quickly that mm-hmm. maybe he forgets to that other people have to come along with him yes. and um, pays the price over that sometimes.
1: Yes. So the importance of really discerning God's calling and sticking with that. Um, I think was a great example that Pastor Larry gave us. And also, you know, it takes a lot of pressure off. I think if we are just focusing on obeying God right. and we don't have to worry about numbers, whether they're up or down, we just follow what he's called us to do. And then we trust him with the results, I think. And so that alleviates some of that worry over, oh, is attendance up? Is attendance down?
0: Right. Because
1: then God gets the praise if there's any growth, because it's all him. Right. And again, it alleviates some of that worry if numbers start to go down, because God's the one that grows the church, not not us. B-
0: Bingo. I mean, that's the, that's the thing to remember, but hard to kind of execute, because when it you is. see <laughs> families that you love walking away because of a choice that you made, yes, it's hard for that hurt not to make you reconsider.
1: Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. It's not easy. Definitely. No, <laughs> gonna be not at all.
0: And that, you know what? That
1: come with it. Mm-hmm.
0: I think that's one of the reasons why being a pastor is a calling and it's not something that just anybody off the street can do. Like it's hard. Right. And you Absolutely. make hard choices and have hard consequences.
1: Mm-hmm. And part of Pastor Larry's conviction was really the sense of reaching the community, right? Not just right. the church, but reaching out into his community.
0: And he did that in a lot of ways. And I I thought a really um, kind of interesting and intriguing idea in that was that he is working and volunteering in the community as far as coaching and just being being there. I've coached some teams before with my kids and you get to meet a lot of different people and Mm -hmm. have contact with a lot of different people. And be involved in the lives of a lot of different people through uh, just something as easy as coaching and you don't have to be an expert. Right. To coach a third grader. <laughs> it's just don't it's just pointing him in the right direction and hoping that something good happens.
1: Yes, that's right. And it does take time, but I appreciated that he saw that as an important investment of his time. And I think that's a neat way to look at it that as you are Making these connections in the community, you are doing your job as a minister or church leader in building those relationships in the community.
0: Yeah, for sure. And with the rock, it's making a huge impact in that community. And in that in that idea that it does take time, he told a a story about about families who the kids became believers through the rock, and those kids have grown up, become volunteers, and are now ministers themselves. And so the fruit of the rock way back when is that Mm -hmm. it's producing people who are now doing the work of the ministry. Yes. And that's not something that just takes a year or two.
1: No, that takes a long time. And I think it's um, the Christian community development association. They talk about, you know, sometimes it takes a minimum of 10 years being involved in a community to kind of start to see that lasting change, um, that impact. So that ties in with that conviction, you know, really sticking in a place where God has put you. Um, And so.
0: Yeah. If you want, if you want your church to impact a community, you can't just be there for three or four years.
1: Mm -hmm. And they really went outside of the church to do that. They weren't asking people to come inside the building. Right which I think can also be a pitfall is when we're just trying to get people from the community inside the church building. Um, Especially now there's been so many culture shifts that that's not as likely as it used to be. Right. Um, But we're still seeing, you know, trying to use the same methods we've used before to get people in the building um, when now it's going to be more feasible and fruitful to go outside the building and connect with people in the community.
0: Right. I think that there has been that shift of, it's not as important as it used to be to get mm-hmm. um, to get butts in seats, as they used to say. <laughs> um, that was kind of the main goal, is just to have have your Sunday attendance as high as possible. But I don't think that that's the goal anymore. The goal now is to make an impact for the gospel in your community. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that doesn't look like butts in seats right. on Sunday morning.
1: Mm-hmm. It looks like building relationships, right? With people outside of the church.
0: And using church resources to um, impact lives and families that don't go to your church.
1: Yes. But that's also a positive because I think it opens up the doors for more people to use the gifts that God has given them.
0: Right. Which is um, something that he mentioned when he talked about mentoring and Um, Mm -hmm. volunteering and just let allowing people to use their gifts to serve the ministry. And he he talks specifically is the word Mm -hmm. he talks specifically about um, it used to be where if you didn't sing or you didn't teach, there was not a place for you to serve at church Mm -hmm. and there just weren't options. And so Freeman Heights has made it a point And especially with The Rock, it makes it even easier because there are so many opportunities at The Rock for anyone who is breathing Mm -hmm. to be able to serve and do ministry out there.
1: Yes, it's really utilizing the members that God has given you. And the gifts that God has given them, and so He mentioned everything from martial arts to sewing to, to right. everything. There was a place for you to serve. So yeah,
0: if you breathe, you have a. They have a spot for you.
1: Yes, so I good. think
0: that there's a lot of churches, and I hear from a lot of churches who have talked about their volunteers getting burnt out, mm-hmm. and that they uh, just start quitting. They they stop volunteering because they're they just feel overworked. And so I think that one of the reasons that that happens is because we have a lot of volunteers who are working outside of their gifting Mm. and they're, they're doing a lot of volunteering and they're doing, using a lot of energy outside of what they're gifted at, which is exhausting. Right. If we were, if we just took a little bit of time to get to know our volunteers, to find out how God has gifted them and Mm -hmm. then find ways to allow them to serve in the line of those gifts. Mm -hmm. I think that we would find that our volunteers never get burnt out and that they are excited to come and serve because when we're using the gifts that God has given us, it empowers us and it energizes us Mm -hmm. and it doesn't just, it doesn't wear us out like using gifts that we don't have. Like if you put me in a preschool ministry Mm -hmm. to work, I'll burn out in an hour. I'm done. (laughs) I just, I don't have the patience for preschoolers.
1: Praise the Lord for all our preschool workers.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Miss Carla and all of those people who have worked with my kids. You are a blessing to me and my family.
1: Yes. And I think with the shift in thinking about gifts, there also has to be a shift in thinking about where those gifts are used. And so really passing on the message that when you're serving your community, you are serving the church. Um, and so I think sometimes we try to have everybody do something at the church building, you know, and, and that's the way that you're serving the church, which is needed. And that is something that's important. Um, but it's also important that we're out serving the community and building relationships there because in turn, that really is, you know, focusing on the mission God has given us to reach our communities.
0: Right. And uh, us as a church, not just a pastor or a staff. Mm-hmm. Um that is the call of the church so it's it's not the pastor's job to be it's not just the pastor's job to be out in the community working mm-hmm. and volunteering it's the church as a whole's job to be out there and working and and impacting the community.
1: Right and Pastor Larry did a great job of setting that example of being involved in the community. Right. But also you know he mentioned constantly casting that vision because it is hard. It's a harder task, you know, to reach the community and get involved in that. Um, And so, you know, shifting from stats to stories, I think is important in doing that. So we're not looking for numbers, but we're celebrating even those little relationships that start being formed and giving God praise for that and noticing those ways in which he is at work in the community.
0: Absolutely. You never know what one just opportunity, one time, one moment with someone in our community, you don't know what impact that has down mm-hmm. there li- in their life mm-hmm. and who that person becomes or how God uses that person. And it could all start from just you taking that time to interact, to be with, to serve whatever that person.
1: hmm And he mentioned You know, not just jumping in the community and doing what you think needs to be done, but really pausing and listening to the people who live and work there um, to what their needs are and how the church can best serve them. And I think in doing so, they realized, you know, just what a multicultural community they were in. And that kind of led some of their adjustments on staff.
0: Yes, I think that churches should look like their community. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that that's our call. And Larry even mentioned that for him, the vision was, man, heaven's going to look so diverse. Right. And when we're worshiping together as a family of God, we are going to look so different. Mm -hmm. Why shouldn't the church look like that now? Yes. And I think that's a great question. And I, I think that we should look like that now.
1: Yes. It's a reflection of God's heart.
0: And I, I know that it's, and so it's a hard, it's hard being a multicultural church is hard. And, and Larry talked about losing a lot of people when they made that choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he kept referring back to that um, mission over members. I mean, he mm-hmm. said that probably six or seven times during that interview. Um, but the mission is to, is for the, the body of Christ to look like it's going to look in heaven. And if that's one of his missions, then he's, he made it happen. And using uh, co-pastors, I don't know if you noticed, but he said co-pastor. I had a uh, Hispanic co-pastor. I had an African-American co-pastor. And so they're not, it's not he's the senior pastor and their executives or their associates. They're all pastors. And I think that's a significant um, thing to do if you're truly going to be a multicultural church. I also think that in a multicultural church that no one is going to be comfortable hundred percent of the time.
1: Right. And that's okay. Cause again, we're focusing fine. on the mission, not our preferences.
0: Right. And he, he mentioned singing Spanish songs uh, and how funny it is for him just to kind of see um, non-Hispanic folks singing Spanish or attempting to sing mm-hmm. Spanish songs. <laughs> yes. And he also mentioned his African-American co-pastor uh, kind of almost maybe cutting his sermons in half. Right. Um, In order to serve at Freeman, to preach at Freeman Heights, but also Larry giving up that, that opportunity.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, it was everybody making sacrifices. Um, And I think that's a beautiful picture when everybody's sacrificing together um, to do what God has called them to do.
0: Absolutely. And he he mentioned also, he talked about um, having a multicultural staff being a challenge. Mm -hmm. And that one of the, one of the things that he does is he really wants it to be a family atmosphere uh, on their staff. And I think that no matter what culture you're in, the top one or two things in every culture is family, like the importance of family. And so if you can make that staff feel like a family, uh, that is a common bond amongst everybody that Mm -hmm. can really connect you and, and really Uh, bond you in a way that, that enables you to do some pretty amazing ministry, I think.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. He mentioned, you know, people showing up to grandkids sports events and things like that. And again, those things take time, but that's an investment in time well spent and things happen there that couldn't happen in the office, you know, over a 30 minute meeting.
0: Right. Absolutely. And, and when you're making, and it's, it's a lot easier to make a sacrifice for someone that feels like family mm-hmm. or that is family than it is yes. for a coworker. Absolutely. And so those bonds are, are important and hard and they do take time. And it is uh, something that everyone has to invest in, in order for it to happen. But I mm-hmm. know that on the church staffs that I have served on where it felt like a family, I'm still connected to those people. Right The ones where I've served where it felt kind of more businessy, I don't really talk to any of any of them
1: mm-hmm. very often. Mm-hmm.
0: And it's just the difference of serving with someone that is that has become my family and serving with someone that I feel like I need to or i am supposed to.
1: yes. and I think that beautiful example that Pastor Larry's given us with this multicultural family seemed to kind of start from them simply listening and building relationships with people in their community. Which is something I think we can all do.
0: Absolutely. Should do. We all should do.
1: Yes, definitely. So how about for our challenge during these next two weeks? Um, You know, we've mentioned the importance of talking to people in the community. Now, this is going to be a challenge during the pandemic. So it's going to look a little bit different. (laughs) So this week, maybe look for ways to currently engage your community. So that could be by either creating or joining an online community Facebook group or something along those lines. But also we do want to look towards the future and see where we hope things will start to, you know, reopen again and get back to normal. Right. Um, but now you can start driving around the community that your church is in and start noticing places where people frequent. So that could be, a park or a rec center or a laundromat or the library or even if you know like a favorite coffee shop that's in the area but start noticing where people gather and spend time and then pray about where god would want you to plug in to those areas
0: right so it could be a hot yoga class at the rec center which are very popular uh nothing connects people like sweat that's what I've learned in my life.
1: <laughs> I'm going to pass on that one. Thanks. No hayaga. Okay,
0: that's fine. But there are maybe <laughs> other classes at the rec center that you could be involved in. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. racquetball. There you go. I don't know what else. But the rec center is a lot of fun. It is. <laughs> so I would recommend that.
1: But you know, a lot of churches have like league, sport leagues and things. So just a simple joining the rec league instead of kind of, you know, isolating the church league might lead to a little bit more relationship development within the community. Yeah. Just something to think about.
0: I think that if you, if we take this challenge before God and we really do sincerely pray, God, how can I connect with my community better as we're driving around and looking at these places, Mm -hmm. he'll all joking aside, he will point you into direction of, of opportunities where that'll happen. Absolutely. It doesn't have to be hot yoga, though it should be.
1: Really hoping it's not.
0: (laughs) But it'll definitely be something.
1: Yes, absolutely. So let's find places where people frequent and then also see how we can connect online uh, during this time. But turn it over to God and he's going to lead you in the right way.
0: Yeah, for sure. What a good challenge. Mm -hmm. What a good interview. It was. What a delightful man. Larry Venable is
1: yes. We still appreciate his example.
0: That was good. So many good, smart things. We didn't even touch them all. So there are some other, other, I think great nuggets of wisdom that we can pull off from what he said and what he shared that we should, but for now we will have to bid adieu as they say in France, because I'm multilingual. (laughs)
1: Look at you.
0: That's right.
1: Thanks for listening. Be sure to click the subscribe button on your choice of podcast platform.
0: Or visit dba.net slash blog, B-L-O-G, to catch the latest episodes of What I Wish I'd Known.
1: And What I Wish They Knew. Until next time.
0: Go and be.